Hello, Bill. Good morning, Matt. Welcome to the DMZ, everybody. December 1st, Thursday morning. Uh, have you fully recovered from, from Thanksgiving? I have, because Thanksgiving is also my anniversary, uh, my my wife and I's anniversary. So we usually, after Thanksgiving, go away for a couple days and relax and just hang out together. And so that really recharges the batteries. So I'm feeling good, Bill. Uh, that was not my Thanksgiving. <laughs> um, we did make the innovative decision to not make a full turkey. Mm-hmm. So once you take the turkey making off the table, that definitely relieves a lot of Thanksgiving stress. Yeah, I find that uh, once you take the children out of the equation, it also, it also I, helps. I, I, I salute your, your bold innovation. Uh, don't get me wrong. <laughs> well, we uh, intentionally got married uh, Thanksgiving week 17 years ago with the intention that we could basically whether it was the honeymoon or one of these little getaways that on our anniversary uh it's a good time to get away and you know because my wife's job is pretty demanding um uh, with when especially when congress is in session it's a really nice thing because most people are not going to bother you thanksgiving weekend mm -hmm. So it's worked out to be. So if anybody out there is thinking about when to get married, everybody wants to get married in June. Mm -hmm. Think about Thanksgiving week, you know? Now, did you have a lot of, did you have a big wedding? No, our wedding wasn't that big. It was pretty small. Uh, you want to you want to take a guess where our uh, our wedding reception was? Well, you're, you're always in Arizona, so I'm going to assume Arizona. <laughs> no, this is funny in light of what has happened to the Republican Party. But our wedding reception, we got we got married at a church in Old Town, Alexandria, Virginia. But our wedding reception was at the Capitol Hill Club, which is the the Republican mm -hmm. club mm -hmm. on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. Like literally we got married at the Republican parties. Essentially, I mean, that is actually where the I think it's where the RNC is actually based mm. in the same building and the NRCC is based there as well. That's how Republican our wedding was. Um, but uh, but you could get away with a November wedding because you weren't inviting people from all over the country to come yeah. to visit you. There were maybe there were maybe like 20 people there. Yeah. Something like that. Of course, I mean, if you did a big invite, they'd be like, these schmucks are doing this on Thanksgiving. They know I can't come. It's an invitation. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I I think there is as a you know as a conservative, I, I think there's there's something to be said for these big big weddings and all that. But um, this is for us; it worked out great, and so I would recommend it. It wasn't sort of no fuss, no muss. Now, did you send out a big invite list so you still get the gifts? <laughs> no, but you keep the wedding costs down, profiting on the whole endeavor. No, we just wanted to keep the wedding. We we didn't care about the gifts. We just wanted to keep the wedding costs down and uh, and also the hassle. So it worked out well. Um, I was just telling my kids the other day because we were watching. I don't know if you saw the um, the new Santa Claus. It's not a movie. It's a TV show with Tim Allen. Reprising. I, saw, I, I saw an ad for it, but I haven't seen it. It's really good. It's well done. And um, 
in in the beginning is I believe it's Casey Wilson of Saturday Night Live fame. And I was telling the boys, I, I think it's her who's in this one scene. If I'm wrong, forgive me. But she's been in, um, you know, HBO shows and she was on SNL and she's been in, you know, movies. And um, I was telling my my sons, like, you see that woman like her. I'm friends with her dad and her, her dad actually uh paid for a professional photographer at our wedding. And also he's a, a Republican political mm-hmm. consultant named Paul Wilson. And he also took, he took it upon himself to take photos at our wedding. And he actually pissed off our minister because he got like, re- he was like getting really close as we were like, you know, getting married. Um, and he's just one of those really interesting, fun guys. And I was like, yeah, her dad paid for our photographer at our wedding. So uh, what an interesting world it is. <laughs> well, I'm glad you got to get away. I'm glad you had kid-free days. Those are all, those are special days. Um, when you came back uh, to reality, um, how are you feeling about uh, the state of the Republican Party now that not only do you have Trump in the 2024 race officially, uh, but he kicked it off by dining with uh, Nick Fuentes, uh, who is a racist and an anti-Semite. So the place where Aaron and I went has this awesome, it was the, uh, the Ritz, Carlton, and Georgetown. And Bill, I don't know if you've ever been there, but they have this really awesome lobby. It doesn't even feel like a lobby. It's like a living room where essentially all the people who are staying there hang out. So there's the Christmas tree and the fireplace. And it's a great place to just sit. Um, You know, it's much bigger than your room. You sit there. They've got you can order a drink, um, even get to know. We got to know different people, talk to people there. And I do a lot of reading. And one of the things I was rereading, I know this doesn't sound terribly romantic, but um, my wife and I just watched the the Looming Tower uh, TV series that came out a few years ago, which I think is very well done. So I decided to reread the Lawrence Wright, you know, Pulitzer Prize winning book, The Looming Tower. Um, and I'm reading the book and then I'm, I'm checking in on Twitter. I mean, I didn't watch any cable news really while I was there, but you know, I'm still following Twitter here and there. And as I'm reading the book and you know, the movie, the, the looming tower TV show focuses pretty much exclusively on, you know, the events leading up to nine 11 directly, like the bombing of the coal and things like that. But the book starts in the 1940s when Sayed Kitab comes to the United States of America I assume, have you read the book, Bill? I've, I've not. I've not read the book. It, it, so Hugh Hewitt would, Hugh Hewitt, this was one of his like litmus tests. If you hadn't read that book, you were done, you know, so I had to read the book. Um, it starts with Sayyid Kitab, who um, comes to America and instead of being, instead of it liberalizing him, he becomes radicalized by it. And he goes back to Egypt and he joins the Muslim Brotherhood and he ends up becoming a martyr. Um, and his writings and his philosophy really trickled down ultimately uh, to like Zawahiri and to then bin Laden and, and the rest is history. But as I'm reading the book, I got like one eye on the book and then one eye on Twitter, you know, on cable news or whatever, whatever they're talking about. And it really hit me like how 
these young men who were becoming radical Islamists are not that different, mm. <laughs> not that different from people like Nick Fuentes, who really don't believe in liberalism. You know, they really don't believe in liberal democracy. They believe that America has become decadent and secular and that we are weak. They have a lot in common. I, so I wrote a piece about it for the Beast. But that was my experience, Bill. Uh, it didn't bum me out. We still had a great time. But uh, as I was reading this book and then watching what was happening with Trump on Twitter, and I was more focused, I think, on the Nick Fuentes angle than on Trump and Kanye specifically. But it really occurred to me how this this is this philosophy about how like we need a theocracy and uh, democracy's over and and uh, uh, we need to be powerful and strong and and uh, you know it, it, it's it's pervasive and, and I really do think that on the fringe right right now the the Fuentes of the world, their worldview is very similar to that of radical Islamists in a weird, weird way. Now, for a long time, uh, Democrats, liberals, progressives have long charged conservatives with, uh, you see a phrase like American Taliban, for example. <laughs> yeah. Want, you know, they want to ban books. They want to ban abortion. They want to ban contraception. They want to essentially control your lives. They want theocracy. Um, uh are you giving that critique credence by making this comparison between Fuente? I mean, here's Fuentes, you're saying is like the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, he is dining with Donald Trump, who is the front runner candidate for the 2024 Republican Party. I mean, is this what the Republican Party has actually become? I would draw, so I, I would say that I, I, I never liked it when liberals, progressives would make that charge about mainstream conservatives. And I still think it's bogus. I mean, I'm a part of the Christian right, so to speak. And I could tell you that what mainstream Christian conservatives at least want or wanted was, um, you know, number one, obviously, uh, religious liberty, the freedom to practice. But you know, we want to win souls to Christ um, by legitimate conversion and persuasion. And to the degree that we we do want to be involved in politics, trying to bring about a more virtuous society, but throughout the rules of, of liberal democracy and pluralism. Um, and that's a stark contrast to what people like Fuentes want. What they want is essentially a theocracy, and they want to impose their version of the common good on people by the use of force. So it's a stark contrast to what I believe. Um, now, I, I've not read a lot of Fuentes' writings, but he, he is, is it fair to call him a theocrat? He is religiously motivated in his uh, anti-Semitism and his, and his white supremacy? Mm -hmm. It's actually, he's like a cat. He wants a Catholic. He wants, you know, this isn't solely Catholic. There are a lot of Catholics now who are buying into this. Uh, sort of theocratic thing. Um, but there's an evangelical version of it too, that like Michael Flynn is a part of, but, um, yeah, he specifically, I mean, I would say he's a neo-Nazi. I'm speaking of Fuentes. Mm -hmm. He's a neo-Nazi. He's a Holocaust denier. He's an anti-Semite. 
Um, I would also say he is a, I would say he's a Catholic theocrat. Mm-hmm. And he said during one interview or one video he did, he also he's also a chauvinist. I mean, he, he said that he doesn't want to go back to 1999. He wants to go back to 1099, mm-hmm. the Middle Ages. He mm-hmm. wants women to not have the right to vote, to have to wear veils, at least in church. Um, this is some weird, mm-hmm. weird stuff, as, as, as George W. Bush might say. Now, you have... Kanye West bringing Fuentes to Trump, then debriefing with Fuentes. Or did you was he do with Milo? Can't, I can't keep track of all these these names. I try to forget, and they keep coming back. Um, uh, uh, say how Trump was impressed impressed with Fuentes because he was a Trump loyalist. And Trump was mad at him because he was going to run against him for president. Then Trump says, well, I, I was going to have dinner with, 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 with Kanye, but he just shows up with Fuentes. I don't know who this guy is, but there's no condemning mm-hmm. of Fuentes in the statement. Um, and, you, and that's followed by this kind of slow burn of other Republicans saying that it was bad that he had dinner, but kind of stopping short of blaming Trump for it. Mm-hmm. Um, like, People shouldn't have dinner with this guy. And I'm sure if you know, if Trump knew better, if you knew about him, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't have done it. Um, I mean, isn't this this is the same old dance that happened throughout the Trump presidency, where Trump would do a really bad thing, and Republicans would kind of hem and haw about it and kind of say it was bad, but not blame Trump himself for it, mm-hmm. uh, so they don't get on the bad side of Trump supporters, which is why you're still stuck with Trump being the titular leader of the party. So has anybody learned anything in the no five years no i mean i do think well not really i mean there's really no way that this there's no way for trump to look good here right i mean number one he's he is knowingly having dinner with kanye west who is at this point very clearly an anti-semite in his own right Mm -hmm. um not only by association, but by virtue of what he this is his own statement says multiple times. So it's not he it's not misspeaking. Um, then you've got the fact that like um, Trump ought, Trump really ought to know who Nick Fuentes is. I mean, if you're he was at Charlottesville, yeah. I mean, at this point, you ought to know who he is. So if you don't know who he is, that's kind of an indictment on you. If someone can just make his way into a meeting with the president, a dinner with the president without being vetted uh, and everyone knowing who they are. Like, that's a problem. And then, of course, after finding out who he is, Trump could have completely disavowed him, which he didn't do. He says, I don't know who he is, but he doesn't say, and this guy's a scumbag Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's really no way of looking at this that paints Trump and a flattering picture. But I mean, to your point, yeah, I, I think that even Mitch McConnell, you know, I think Mitt Romney gave a, a good a, a good condemnation of it, but Romney has long kind of been doing that. So it's, it's not a change. Mitch McConnell was pretty good, but then, you know, he had this thing where he basically, he, he turned into a into a pundit where he said, like, I don't think anyone who has a meeting, who has dinner with a guy like this, is likely to become president, which is like, that's not a moral statement or a moral condemnation. 
You know, he says, like, there's no place in the Republican Party for anti-Semites. Well, actually, he's wrong. He's documentably, provenly wrong. Like, there is a place. There shouldn't be, but there is. So it's nice to hear McConnell say that, but it's actually not true. There's no room in the Republican Party for anti-Semites. Wrong. There actually is. Um, and then he says something to the effect of, you know, I, I doubt very seriously that anyone who has dinner with someone like this could be elected president. Well, big deal. That's, you know, you've been wrong before in terms of your prognostication. Um, and so even Mitch McConnell, who gave maybe the strongest rebuke of anyone, uh, wasn't that strong. What do you think? Well, right. I mean, I, I, I think that uh, it's still kid gloves treatment. There's there's people at the highest levels of the Republican Party are not willing to tell Donald Trump to, you know, to get out that you are not a Republican. You've you're corrupted this party. You've ruined us in the last three election cycles. And uh, you're a cancer that needs to be excised. Uh, no one's willing to do that or, or very, very few. Uh now, I don't know if you saw that this was a Rolling Stone article from yesterday um, that uh, said, uh, according to three people with knowledge of the directives, DeSantis's lieutenants have told his allies not to attack Trump over the now notorious dinner. It said the potential 2024 Republican primary candidate, his advisors have aimed to keep the focus on Trump's decision to dine with Kanye West, a vocal anti-Semite, and Nick Fuentes, a white smart agitator. Um Says Dan Eberhardt, a longtime GOP donor and former big Trump donor, recalling his conversation with Team DeSantis, quote, in my ongoing in ongoing discussions following his reelection, including this week, I've been asked to keep my powder dry. My understanding is that the DeSantis team doesn't see the upside of kicking off the fight with Trump this early, even if it may be inevitable. Waiting into the Fuentes fiasco just isn't worth it for them. The media will har- harpoon Trump without Team DeSantis lifting a finger. So is this DeSantis being clever and just waiting for his moment to bring it to Trump? Or is this just another Republican who can't bring himself to say what's obvious that this is disqualifying behavior and that people who support Fuentes and and Kanye should not be considered Republicans? I mean, I think it's both, but I am I am fine with Ron DeSantis being the one person who does whatever it takes strategically to be positioned to take out Trump. And I think it's sad that the analysis that Team DeSantis has come up with is actually probably good advice from a purely strategic standpoint. Now, it's not like Ron DeSantis is the only person in the Republican Party or in America who um, who can voice moral criticism of what Trump has done. And if Ron DeSantis were to come out and uh, to give a strong rebuke of what Trump did and of, uh, and, and of um, Fuentes, it would be nice to hear. I don't know that it would really make a huge difference. So I'm okay with DeSantis keeping his powder dry and uh, doing what he needs to do strategically but if, to but ultimately if, beat Trump. But if, if you don't say bluntly that this entire movement is bad news. Anti-Semitism is bad. White supremacy is bad. Nick Fuentes is bad. Nick Fuentes' followers are bad. Uh, And they're not Republicans. We don't want them in the Republican Party. 
Uh, if you can't say that, then they are then they're then they're part of it, aren't they? You're still well, number one. For their I'm not votes. sure that Ron. I'm not sure Ron DeSantis is the gatekeeper of what gets in the Republican Party and what doesn't. Like I don't know if you read you you read Carlos Lozado's piece criticizing Pence, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, if you haven't read it, I think it's those those out there who haven't read it. It's worth reading. It's 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 brutal. Um, but, but in a good way, I, I think Pence deserves it, but Carlos Lozado makes a point, um, in a very, I don't know, he did it in a very pithy way. I don't know if you remember how he described it, but he basically said that the reason that Mike Pence, like ironically, the reason Mike Pence was able to be the hero on January 6th is that he was a toady until January 6th. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if I, do you think I've accurately described. That's right. That's right. Okay. So I guess what I'm saying is we live right now and the Republican Party is certainly a, a perverse institution. Okay. And I wish that you could get ahead by being courageous and forthright and moral and virtuous, but you can't. Um, if Ron DeSantis starts becoming the conscious of the conser- of a conservatism, <laughs> so to speak. If DeSantis becomes the conscious of conservatism, he will quickly become Mike Pence, okay? And so in a weird way, Ron DeSantis has to play this game and keep his powder dry and preserve his credibility. And the sad thing is he has to, you know, people talk about like virtue signaling, DeSantis has to vice signal. <laughs> it's an effed up. It's an effed up um, paradigm. But but isn't but, that isn't that bad for conservatism and the GOP long term? If if you can't call this out, uh, oh, it's horrible. And it's, it's 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 absolutely horrible, Bill. It's a it's a what I'm talking about is we are in the Republican Party, the conservative movement is in a horrible state of affairs. And, um, but if, if Ron DeSantis, number one, if anybody's going to stop Trump, it's probably going to be Ron DeSantis. And if Ron DeSantis is going to be the person to do it, he is going to have to engage in some unseemly and uh, very shrewd uh, and very cautious uh, techniques and strategies in the next year. And I am allowing him <laughs> this room to do what he needs to do. I mean, I'm just like, I, mean, I, don't, I think we had this discussion last week, so I don't want to repeat ourselves, but I'm not convinced that Rhonda Sanders is this really decent guy that has to be clever and coy to navigate the minefield. But so, so, so righteousness and decency can win out at the end of the day. Like he just made me similarly awful and is and is willing to travel with awful people to get to where he wants to go to have power. I mean, he could be. It could be uh, meet the new boss, same as the old boss or even worse. You know, the, the, the danger is, people say, the danger is that Ron DeSantis is just as bad as Trump, just as authoritarian, but but more competent and, and more disciplined. And, and, you know, David Frum talks about the velociraptors learning to work the doorknob. Well, maybe the velociraptor is, is DeSantis who watched Trump and learned. And so I am totally, uh, sympathetic 
to the notion that Ron DeSantis is no hero. Um, however, if we're going to operate on the assumption that that Donald Trump is is uniquely bad, he's the only person I know who's tried to overthrow an election and, and, and tried to stop the peaceful transfer of power. And so if we view him as an existential threat and we want to stop him, um, first, I think you have to try everything you can to stop him in the Republican Party before he wins the nomination. Because, look, if Trump wins the Republican nomination, Joe Biden could literally fall on his face the week before the election. Uh, there could be a horrible recession. Once you win the nomination, you have a chance to become president. And so uh, I think Ron DeSantis... I would love it, Bill, if we lived in a Republican Party or in a world where the Republican Party wanted Mike Pence or Marco Rubio or even Glenn Youngkin. I just feel like DeSantis at this point seems like the best bet. And I wonder if DeSantis came out today and did what I want him to do, if he was the hero today, would that work? Unfortunately, I fear that if DeSantis did and said the things that I would applaud, that he would become Mike Pence, or he would become uh, all the people that Trump has basically destroyed. And so I'm giving him this like dispensation, um, if that's the right word, uh, this allowance to uh, kind of do what he needs to do, what he thinks he needs to do. Now, you called my attention to a column by Henry Olson at the Washington Post that was uh, from a few days ago, which is titled, The GOP's Path to Dumping Trump Will Be Torturous. Uh, and he basically breaks down the party into four groups, uh, mega MAGA, old guard, MAGA adjacent, and never Trump. And the, he estimates the first three of those are about 30% of the party and the, and the never Trumpers are about 10%. Uh, and so you you got to find a way to, uh, you know, solve the puzzle of putting these coalition pieces in the right array so Trump can't get a plurality of, uh, of primary voters. Uh, so uh, he talks about, for example, MAGA adjacent is the hardest for most observers to pin down. These people like Trump for both his style and substance, but are not truly devoted to him personally. Um, and so DeSantis is their their man of the hour. Um, so none of these four finally these forces are balanced. If DeSantis sours and some MAGA adjacent voters go back to Trump, then the final two candidates will be Trump and whichever old guard candidate, that's more of a Reagan-like candidate, can solidify his or her position. But if DeSantis stays strong and the old guard remains split. Then DeSantis will make it to the final round. The old guard voters have to decide who the nominee will be. This could put never Trumpers uh, in the driver's seat. Will they get behind an old guarder? Uh, or will they back DeSantis as the lesser of two evils, which is kind of where you seem to be right now? A never Trumper willing to go with a MAGA adjacent person to stop a mega MAGA. Um, but, uh, uh, but the way Olson describes it, uh, there's different ways that these pieces come into place. So it depending on how well DeSantis, how viable he ends up being. Yes. Um, a couple of things to unpack there. You know, so 
Trump has 30, according to Olson, Trump has 30% of the vote locked in. That's sort of his floor, 30%. Those are the mega MAGA. Um, then you've got the MAGA adjacent. And if you add the mega MAGA and the MAGA adjacent, you're at 60%. And that's why Mike Pence, Bill, doesn't have a chance, right? Mike Pence can't get the mega MAGA and he can't get the MAGA adjacent. Seems highly unlikely. So at best, Mike Pence, at best, could get 40% of the vote. That is if we believe the Henry Olson theory, right? right? right. Uh, the old guard and the never Trumpers. I don't know if I don't know if I'm old guard or never Trumper. I'm not sure which, but whatever. Together, that's only forty percent. That's about what Mike Pence could get on a good day, like on his best day. Uh, so you can see, obviously, it's a problem if you have a whole bunch of candidates, like a large field, dividing up the vote. Um. I mean, I guess you could envision a scenario where someone like a Glenn Youngkin could piece together the never Trumpers um, and the old guard that gets him to 40 percent, let's say. And then maybe he splits the uh, little, MAGA little MAGA adjacent. Yeah, the MAGA adjacent. And maybe so. so but I mean, I, I'm not saying that Henry Olson's theory is, you know, uh, the, the gospel. But but it seems like a plausible theory to me. And, and if we if we buy into that, it seems to me that, you know, Trump can win and uh, DeSantis could win and maybe Yunkin can win. Bill, I I'm having a hard time if this is the premise. I'm having a hard time envisioning kind of anyone else having a shot. Well, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of game left here to play. So yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, that's I the huge that's the yeah. obvious caveat. But, but, but right but now, at this point. But I do think there's an argument that, uh, again, not to say this is a likely scenario, but that Trump and DeSantis could hold each other down and make it hard for either one of them to get beyond 30%. And if establishment types can find a third horse to consolidate around, and that the, this is always the problem in 2016. You know, Trump was never getting 50% of the vote in the primaries, but the establishment people were so were so weak they couldn't they couldn't consolidate around an alternative to outflank him. And there are there clearly are enough, you know, MAGA adjacent Republicans saying, yeah, I don't love the guy, but I'll, I'll go along for the ride uh, for him to get in, in the case of Trump getting you know him breaking 40 uh, in primaries and that being enough to you know win a sufficient number of delegates. Uh, it requires some fortitude and some strategizing amongst people who don't want the Republican Party to descend into uh, into madness to get behind somebody, <laughs> to get behind somebody who's going to respect the basic democracy uh, and, and equality. Um, that 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 still seems to be missing. We still don't yeah. see, even even after this primary, this midterm, we're clearly. Trump like minded candidates were dead weight, <laughs> threw away winnable races for Republicans at almost every level. Uh, you know, uh, over at Bolts Magazine, um, there was an analysis done that uh, in the state legislative races, this is after past midterms, you saw, you know, 200 to 600, you know, gains from the opposition party. Republicans gained 22 state legislative seats in this midterm. 
So it's not even like just like they lost a few Senate seats. Yeah. They lost a few governor's races. This is up and down the ballot that they were weakened by this. Uh, and it's and there's clearly consternation amongst Republicans, but not not in my mind an urgency. Like yeah. this is a five alarm fire problem to put out, even if it means we don't win the next election. You know, this is just going to keep killing us and killing us and killing us if we don't just stamp it out. Well, consider consider the state that the Republican Party finds itself in right now, Bill, with having just gotten this huge, uh, huge warning that they received. Right. So hitting a think of the presidential race. Trump just had dinner with a neo-Nazi. But even if DeSantis wins, Trump will sabotage him. That 30 percent that Trump controls. What percent of the 30 percent would go with Trump if he either launched a third party bid or simply tried to sabotage DeSantis in a general election? Let's say 10 percent. That probably dooms the Republican nominee. You've also got right now Kevin McCarthy's speakership is not clear that he will be the speaker. But even if he is, it's going to be a clown caucus. Marjorie Taylor Greene is set to become the face of the GOP. Green and Bobert are both going to get their committees back. Um, you've got an RNC that is having elections that feature Mike Lindell, the My Pillow guy. <laughs> and right now, an election election denial could cost the GOP a House seat in Arizona. I don't know if you saw that. I, I don't think that's going to happen that way. This is because Cochise County was refusing to certify its election, and so. If the Secretary of State, which is now Katie Hobbs, uh, says, I don't I don't have votes from you, uh, and so I got to zero out your votes, that would throw Arizona 6 to the Democrat. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure she can actually do that, or if she wants to do that. Um, I think it's more that Cochise County has to certify their election. Like the, the, the judicial power is going to be like, hey, Cochise County, you have to certify this. You, you don't have the statutory leeway to not certify. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even if somehow those votes were zeroed out, the House of the House of Representatives is the final arbiter of who gets seated. And they could say, look, coaches can't just being ridiculous, but we all know who got the most votes here. Republican, you get seated. So yeah. I don't think they're going to get, I don't think they're going to throw away that seat. Um, but you okay, but even on. if we assume that that one bullet point is not going to manifest, I've just laid out a litany of problems. I mean, yeah. they've got 99 problems right now. Right. Now, do you think, what are the odds McCarthy is speaker? That he becomes speaker? He actually becomes speaker. Um, Maybe 60%. Mm-hmm. I guess the problem is, even though McCarthy uh, has major problems, it's hard to envision someone else getting, <laughs> getting, uh, what is it? Two hundred and eighteen, however many. Unless, unless people, you know, uh, abstain, you know, vote present. Yeah, don't, don't show up. That could that could reduce the majority threshold. So even though I can conceive of of McCarthy not getting enough votes, it's hard to envision someone else getting enough, right? So I, I don't know what sixty percent. What do you what do you say? You know, I'm really torn here because you know when when Pelosi was having you know a math problem, you know, I made the point that these jokers don't really have a strategy to actually defeat Pelosi because you can't, you can't beat somebody with nobody. Uh, 
they don't really have a real argument against Pelosi beyond basic ageism, you know, just move out of the way for a younger person, which, which is a, isn't a sufficient argument to rally the troops behind. Um, and so Pelosi picked them off one by one with a concession here and a concession there that were pretty minor concessions. Um, so on the Republican side now, they don't they don't have somebody. They don't have an alternative. So they have, so they, they come up with this way with, with a, a basic weakness. But are they more nihilistic? Can, can yes. they drag this out? Yes, they are. Because they don't care. They don't have anybody. Um, but it does still come down to what do they want out of this? So they just want to burn it down for the sake of burning it down and never having it. The thing, the thing is, if, if that was their bent, we just like burning things down. We just like not playing ball and sowing chaos. The, by, the end result that could well be that a handful of moderate Republicans say, screw this, we're going to vote with Democrats for some, you know, neutral party. We'll, 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 we'll dust off, you know, Justin Amash or, uh, or, uh, 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 John Boehner, you know, you don't, you don't have to be a sitting Congress person to, to be speaker, uh, someone who will commit to putting things on the floor. Yeah. Why that, don't we've never, I mean, I don't think we've ever seen house Republicans, house moderate Republicans exercise any sort of leadership or power. They do have power mm-hmm. at this point. Right. When it's this narrow, any block Mm -hmm. is powerful. And yet it's the right wing that is, you know, really flexing their muscles. It seems unlikely to me that that this would happen, Bill. But why is that? Well, I mean, I'm not expecting, you know, a super jolt of courage from House moderates to extent that even exist. Uh, I'm just saying I think it is possible for the nihilist to take things so far to make it so ridiculous that that becomes a palatable option for them. It, uh, it, it would not be, it would, I think it would have to be after um, a lot of uh, votes and, you know, you know nine, nine, 10 ballots or something right, right. where, you know, the house literally can't function. They can't keep the lights on. And so you get a handful of, of Republicans saying, okay, we're going to keep the lights on yeah. by putting someone in power who will put bills on the floor to keep the lights on. But anyway, yeah, I, the Republican Party has all these problems, and you know we're on, we're we're less than two years out, obviously, from the twenty twenty four presidential race, and so I mean, there's a lot could change between now and then, but you would there there doesn't seem to be any urgency. Well, there doesn't I, I, seem to be a sense that like, wow, we've got a lot of problems. We better fix it now. There is, Bill. I, I'm sure you saw this, the RNC. As of now, I guess it's the RNC, but Republicans are putting together a, a commission to study what went wrong. But Blake Masters right. <laughs> is on the commission. So I'm not, not sure. father's autopsy. The autopsy. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure uh, how insightful this is going to be. Well, I mean, I, how much is the tail still going to wag the dog? Uh, but to get back to the speaker debate. Do you think there's something that the Freedom Caucus people want that McCarthy can give them? Well, I think that what they want is power. It's not the things that they want are not policy preferences, per se. What they want is more power. And so that's what he's going to have to give them. What does that mean? If it's not policy based. 
it means elevating uh, crazy people to better positions in leadership and on committees. It means changing rules so that McCarthy is is more respondent and uh, threatened, endangered. By they want they want to make it's, it easier to get rid of a speaker, right? They want to. That's make... one of the things, right? So so that means that McCarthy. Even if he manages to become, to give away all these concessions to become speaker, will then continue to be just as beholden to them after he becomes speaker as he was before he got it. I mean, and this just brings me back to my you know, consistent point on this show. When are Republicans going to say we can't let the tail wag the dog? I mean, how, how we all, they all know that a Freedom Caucus-defined House Republican co- conference and Republican Party writ large is not a good Republican Party to win the 2024 elections. Um, you know, I, I we're starting to see stories about how bad the 2024 Senate map is for Democrats because you got, you know, uh, they got way more seats up for re-election than Republicans do. All the, all the Republican seats are pretty much like, you know, pretty ruby red Republican seats and Democrats have to defend John Tester in Montana and Sherrod Brown in Ohio and Joe Manchin in West Virginia. These are all very Trumpy states. Um, and so I'm not saying that Democrats have, have no reason to be worried here because they do. But I, I think they're going to they're get a one-seat cushion out of Georgia. Um, so that means Republicans would need to flip uh, two seats to keep to take the Senate if a Democrat won the presidency. It'd be just one seat if there was a Republican president. Um, and so you can get there, uh, you know, two out of three of those three you know, red Democrat, yeah. red state Democrats. Uh, well, but, 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 but here's, let me, and you're right, Bill. I would just throw in the one caveat. What are the Republican, what is the Republican Party doing today that would prevent them from making the same mistakes they made in 2022 in right. terms of candidate in terms of candidate quality for example if you are chris sununu or doug Ducey of montana or whatever the state is you you pick the state that's going to be west virginia whatever whatever the state is that's going to be on the ballot in 2024 that will be a a pickup opportunity for republicans in the senate if you're the, the the Chris Sununu of that state, if you're the Doug Ducey of that state, if you're the Brian Kemp of that state, what is what has changed? What's going to change between now and 2024 that would inspire you to run for office as opposed to Blake Masters, for example, or Herschel Walker, the Herschel Walker of that state running? This is why the Santa Republicans should look at the speaker fight as the first fight they have to win. They should start exerting, they, sh- they, sh- they should flex their muscle. They should say, tail can't wag the dog, Freedom Caucus, shut up. Uh, if it means we got to have a bipartisan speaker, fine. Uh, we're going to function. We're going to be sane. We're going to keep the lights on. Uh, we're going we're gonna to raise the debt limit so we don't have a debt default. Um, uh if they can't, if they're not willing to put the far right in their place now, when are they ever going to do it? Yeah. No, I, and I they, think and they can't do it now. They risk twenty twenty four. They do. I do think that if you are a loyal Republican and a never Trumper, there's a ch- you could argue an acceleration theory here. 
like an almost like the worse, the better theory. I mean, you could say, look, we have tried to reform the Republican Party. We have tried to bring them to their senses. The market is not going to even persuade them. They've lost three elections. It needs to get worse. Let them, in fact, accelerate it, get worse. Make Mike Lindell the chair of the RNC. Um, nominate Donald Trump again to run. Uh, and, and, and it may be, it actually may be the fact that the quickest way to save the Republican Party is to destroy the village to save it. You, you, you could argue that. My concern is that we can that, that that we don't have the power to guarantee Trump could win. You could nominate Trump under the guise that he is going to be an easy that he's going to lose and something crazy could happen in the world and he would become president again. So I I don't think that we can do that kind of strategic that, that we have the luxury of of that theory. If, if you're a responsible actor, I don't think you have the luxury of that. What do you think, Bill? You don't you don't have the luxury of burning it all down. I don't think so. I think you have to be in the business of putting out fires and trying to mitigate problems, not you know, not making them worse under right. the fear. No, yeah, no, I, I I agree with that. They 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 should be following the McConnell playbook and not the Trump playbook. McConnell put the Republicans in a position to keep the focus on Democratic failings. And position themselves as a as a as a party serious about governing, and Trump came in and blew it by putting forth a, a, a list of candidates that didn't fit that that mold at all, and they, and they became the face of the party. There's no reminders that hey, we uh, we help be competitive with China with by investing in semiconductors. We we want to have a good infrastructure too. Uh, there was there was none of that um, neutralizing of issues. It was only focus on election denialism uh, and abortion bans and stuff like that. Uh, so uh, I, I, I would, if I was doing the autopsy, I would say uh, this is not McConnell's fault. This is Trump's fault. We've, we've done Trump's way for a long time. It's burned us repeatedly. It's not like this is a fluky election. This is this is three strikes and you're out. And if the Freedom Caucus isn't gonna isn't gonna get wise to this, then we have to isolate them. By uh, by winning the speaker fight Bill, one way or another, I've said it before and I'll say it again. But 2016, Donald Trump defeated an incredibly unpopular, incredibly unpopular candidate, and still lost the popular vote. And because of that, when everything else, Republicans. Who was it that said, oh, John Ziegler. I just had John Ziegler on the podcast, Bill. And John Ziegler said it was it was like uh, a gambler who makes a long shot bet, you know, and, and it pays off. And he just keeps doubling down right. and betting the same bet over and over again, even though it lo keeps losing. He thinks eventually he's going to strike gold again uh, and double down. And that was a pretty good analogy, I thought. Yeah, yeah. Um you know, when you were talking about, you know, putting out fires or burning it down, um, this is a hard segue. We didn't plan to talk about, talk about this, but maybe think about cryptocurrency. Oh, yeah. Because um, uh, there's a because you're seeing the the war nights talk about, OK, we, we, we need to start regulating crypto uh, not letting this be a wild west. 
And, I, and I'm kind of like, I don't want to regulate crypto. I want to ban crypto. Like, crypto is a completely useless device that nobody needs. And it's just, all it does is cause problems. Uh, I, don't, I don't need to save it. I need it to go away. But couldn't we also see crypto as a sort of a Darwinian thing uh, that, that uh, you know, let other people waste their money on Ponzi schemes? I mean, but that, I mean, obviously that could, that, that could cause some, you know, to the extent it becomes intermingled with the whole global economy, you, you might have some decent people get dragged down in it the same way people got dragged down when, you know, Lehman Brothers, you know, collapsed. Um, like currency is regulated. You know, we, we believe you can't just like make up a dollar. You only dollars are dollars created by the federal government. That's how currency has worked for a long time. Well, you know, apparently there are these coins. Do you know about this? I don't know how much. How much have you gotten into crypto? There I'm, are these. I'm, co- I'm not steeped in it. There are these coins, but I don't even think they. I think the coins are 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 just digital ephemeral. codes, right? Yeah, I, it's it's a weird thing. I don't know much about well, it. It's, um, it's an environmental hazard. They they create so much energy uh, mining these encrypted, you know, chains. Uh, forgive me if I'm not conversant in crypto language. I'm going to get yelled at by <laughs> crypto. I'm sure someone out there really knows what they're talking about. Right. <clears throat> we'll watch us and laugh their asses off. But right. the point that we get is don't do this. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've, I've never heard argument about how cryptocurrency helps anything. How uh, if this, this was this is a solution without a problem. Currency worked well, just fine. OK, no, no. I, there are one thing it could do is if you are debanked, right? If if the government, you know how the government bill may decide to cancel you, just like Twitter can kick you off their platform, banks can debank you. They can basically, and so you could essentially find yourself where, like Wells Fargo says, Bill shares too radical for us to do business with him. Well, I mean, I mean, what what bank says you can't open a checking account if you have the money for a checking account? Well, this is a concern uh, that that some people, certainly on the right, have that if you hold views that are unpopular, that just like a social media platform uh, could ban you, or like YouTube might demonetize. But, but, but this is made up. Like no, no one actually does this. I think that didn't Canada do this against or threaten this or do this against some of the truckers in the convoy or whatever that was? I, I don't know the specifics. I think they I, might have, or at least I mean, threatened it. Or, or, we, you, we're, gonna, we're not going to let you open a checking account? Well, you, it's we, not that. It's basically, we're going to freeze freeze your money uh, because you're uh, an anti-Semite or something to that effect. I, 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 well, I, guess, I mean, I, Bill, I'm playing, as you know, I'm playing devil's advocate right. here, but I'm explaining to you. I mean, it may be that they, you, you can't like take it alone to fund a horrible project. Uh, but as far as I like, don't think it's just, no, it's not whether, okay, whether this is, this very well may be overwrought, <laughs> but what I'm explaining to you is one of the reasons that people like crypto as opposed to U.S. currency is that there is a fear that um, that holding unpopular positions will not only get you kicked off of social media platforms, but now that everything, we don't deal in cash anymore. 
now that everything is, is done electronically, that they could essentially shut you down, your ability to like have electricity in your house okay, could be so, turned off. So this is a, this is from February of, of this year, uh, okay. New York Times story. Um, with the Capitol streets cleared of the heavy trucks and cars that made some of them impassable for three long weeks of protests, Canadian authorities said Tuesday they were lifting freezes on hundreds of bank accounts associated with protest organizers and Canadians who had blocked Ottawa streets with their vehicles. Isabel Jacques, an assistant deputy minister in Canada's Department of Finance, told the House of Commons committee that the banks began unlocking accounts on Monday that no more finances will be locked up. Quote, the vast majority of assets are in the process of being unfrozen, she said. When Prime Minister Justin Trudeau decided a week ago to invoke his country's Emergencies Act for the first time in Canadian history to quell the unrest, they gave the police sweeping new powers to go after the finances of the protesters. I mean, this is literally an extreme circumstance. Okay, but if you're so, I agree. But and and you know, I was very uh, very critical of those so-called protesters, and I wrote about it at the Beast. But if you are an American, and remember, there were a lot of American right wingers, including Ted Cruz, who were cheering on the truckers, okay, and the protesters. If you are an American right winger, and you are cheering on these protesters, and you think their cause is noble, and then you see that Trudeau has frozen their their bank accounts and their money. They can't spend money. They can't spend their own money. It's a hop, skip, and a jump. I mean, if you're I mean they, were, they, you know, they, they were breaking the law. I mean, they were they weren't just holding picket signs outside of a building. They were they were violating the law and okay. making the city you, no, you, but, but number one point conceded. I agree with you. I was very critical of them. If you are a right-wing American activist and you believe that they were on the right side, that they were uh, noble, that their cause was pure, you could envision a scenario where it's a slippery slope. Now, if you're against gay marriage, you can't cash a check. Okay. that's I'm, I'm just telling you, I may be a little more familiar with this world of what they're saying than you are. And this is what they're saying. And so this is one of them. I'm not saying, I'm not saying this is the primary reason that crypto is popular. I don't think it is the primary reason, but this is one reason. Well, it, it is, it is a hyper libertarian concept that we're, yes. we're, that we're going to create a society that's not beholden to the rules of governments. That's bad. That's, that's not a that's bad for society. And I don't want to see regulation. I mean, I mean, obviously, some of the crypto folks are going to be mad that we we want us to be this pure libertarian thing. And now you're going to regulate. It's not going to be fun anymore. But Bill, this uh, goes back. Let me just say this goes full circle. OK, this is where we we talk, we started off talking about Nick Fuentes. OK, and I talked about the whole Taliban. Well, he by the way, he literally has praised the Taliban. OK. <laughs> But it wasn't the Taliban specifically. It was, it was more just radical Islamists. But you have to understand that a lot of the Amer- like the sort of radical right today, they do not like America. They're not patriotic, flag waving, you know, Uber. They like Nick Fuentes was rooting for the Taliban because he does not like America. He thinks America is a force for evil. 
in the right. world that we and are and exporting. He praised, and he praised Russia. I mean, I saw him literally praise Russia in one of his conferences. Exactly. We are exporting trans rights and radical homosexuality and 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 consumerism and what whatever it is. America is a force for evil, according to them. And so, of course, you would want to have a currency that goes, you know, that goes around America if you can. That's part of the, I'm, again, I don't think this is the primary. I think a lot of people just are trying to make money. A lot of people <laughs> invested in crypto because they thought, wow, this is going to pay off. Um, but, but there is an element of it that supports it for that reason. Woke Matt Lewis, defending trans rights. <laughs> Uh, not defending <laughs> it necessarily, but but look, here's here's what I and I wrote a I wrote a piece in Thanksgiving, Bill, a piece for Thanksgiving, um, about gratitude and and Thanksgiving, and I think America is the greatest country in the world, and uh, it's apparent to me that there are a lot of people, probably on the left, but certainly on the right, who don't think America is that good, who think that it's a horrible country and that we're not free. And like, I'm like, I think I have a pretty great life. I think I'm blessed. And I think we live in a great country that's worth defending. And I don't understand the lack of gratitude and the, and the complaining and the sense that this, the sense that things are worse than they've ever been. <laughs> Whether we're talking about medicine, vaccines, peace, prosperity, freedom. You know, I'm not sure when you would want to live or where, like when or where, if you got to pick any place that you could live. I mean, granted, look, it would be 1998. Let's in America, you know, for me, but, but whatever. I mean, this is a pretty great time and place to be alive, I would say. Right, well, let's leave it on that optimistic note, Matt. All right, Bill. Always good talking to you. Uh, I, I apologize for uh, hogging all the Thanksgiving chatter you didn't get to tell us about yours too much i mean i'm not too much to say except that the only innovation of you know not making a turkey is you know i i endorse <laughs> we, we 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 like pre-cooked turkey breasts so you said to warm up so we had we ate turkey so you said you do the whole bird like say, when's it done the thing is we don't live in a society where we make giant birds on a regular basis anymore that's so, true so no one's practiced at it you have to like re- refresh your memory from a year prior and how long it's supposed to be in there. Is it, does the thermometer actually work? Is this part actually done? Sitting around for three hours trying to figure it out. Like that, that's what kills every Thanksgiving. Well, I would say that um, I am grateful to you. And part of why I'm grateful is for your yearly WKRPN Cincinnati tweet thread. Thank you. Thank you. Which, which led me down uh, a rabbit hole of watching YouTube videos of people involved in making the show talking about it so thank you for that yes yeah, so for those who did, did not catch it uh that you have you have to if you're streaming it on prime video or wherever you got to stop it at the uh big guy johnny fever scene and then look for dogs uh wkrp dogs on youtube uh to get the proper scene with the with the original music otherwise the whole scene is is shot and quite frankly, the whole first half of the episode is shy. It's, it, it, it's, it's a pretty limp first half of the episode. If you don't have that, that scene in there, it makes the whole show. I'm still a little sketchy about turkeys not being able to fly. I think some of them can, maybe for short distances. <laughs> but whatever, it's a classic episode. <laughs> All right. Uh, 
Uh, I will see you next week, right? All right. You got it. We'll be back here next week in the DMZ. See you later. Take care.